You are listening to Fanther Tracks. Bastion. Never heard of the wind of Paul? Should I have? It's a ship that made the castle run in less than 12 parsecs. What a piece of junk! Covering Star Wars vehicles in less than 12 parsecs, this is Start Your Engines. Don't get technical with me. Here are your hosts, Paul Naylor and Mark Newbold. You're listening to Start Your Engines. I'm your co-host, Mark Newbold, and joining me today is a man who likes to rev his engines at traffic light stops and look at the guy to the left of him and then put it in reverse. It's Paul Naylor. Which is strange because yesterday I was actually at a speed awareness course. <laughs> wow. I did not know that. Wow. I, I, I almost rum, feel rum. bad. <laughs> I feel re-educated. <laughs> I, well, I'm glad you do. No more, no more jumping into hyperspace when you shouldn't. We've got a really interesting episode today. We're going to talk about what is modernly known as Boba Fett's Starship. What Ooh. we are going to call Slave One. Because I've called it Slave One for 40 years and it's Slave One. Lots to delve into, lots of technical stats, lots of information. But I want to kick off first with a memory. A lot of us played with that Slave One ship when we were kids. There's one just over there. So what are your initial memories, your first memories of seeing that vehicle as a kid? I actually had that for a birthday present. I think I was about 12, I think I was, when I had that as a birthday present. I think it came out in 81, 82. Yeah. I know it's not to scale, Mm -hmm. but it's one of the ones that did feel to scale. Yeah. Like the TIE Fighter and the X-Wing, which again, weren't to scale, but felt to scale. Yeah. He just really took took on a life of his own, Boba Fett. I don't think they quite realised that they struck gold with that character. No. But that ship, yeah, it was amazing. The fact that you got the, the Han Solo carbonite yes. was a big sale. It wasn't a figure, but it was an important part yeah. of what you would then play with when you were put, when you were making stories up with your figures. Totally. I love the fact that, that you've got that really awkward side panel that, that pulled out. And it was real awkward devil to yes. line up. The ramp, which... People yeah. are always after. Anybody got a ramp for Slave One? <laughs> <laughs> Which didn't actually function as a ramp because you couldn't actually go up, up into it. it. No, but, no. Uh, but, but yeah, still, it was yeah. there, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And the rotational part where you got Fett in, in his cockpit and yeah. it actually rotated and you got that fantastic handle on it as well. The handle was the killer for yeah. me. I love that handle. Yeah. It didn't look like a handle. No. It looked like part of the landing gear, didn't yeah. it? So it was really cool how they did that. It was just a great ship to have. I, I can remember... On my birthday, getting that and thinking, well, this is going to look so cool with my Falcon. Totally, exactly. <laughs> and it does look cool with the Falcon. Kenner and Palatoy released the, the Slave One vehicle. They did the die-cast vehicles as well, which look a lot more like the Macquarie version, yeah. the, the whiter-hulled right. vehicle than the, than the larger set. But yeah, you're right. It was that, And it's weird, when you get the Han Solo Carbonite piece out, I can't, <laughs> I can't really call it a figure, because of, obviously they released something Carbonite for Jedi, yeah. and then you see the Carbonite block that that came with, compared it's to the Carbonite, it's, it's like half as big again, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Han Solo clearly shrunk in the wash. <laughs> but it was so good, because you, you could it was so light, you could balance it on, on the arms of Bespin security guards, Comfortably. And, and it looked really good. Yeah, it was just a nice little add-on, really, that they included with it. It was one of my favourite ships at the time, definitely. So a lot of love for Boba Fett, and a lot of love for his starship. Manufacturer. The vehicle was built by QAT Systems Engineering. It was a modified Firespace 31 class patrol and attack craft. So I used to write for Build the Millennium Falcon and I wrote the entry for Slave One. 
And in there, it did explain that, that I think they built about six of these things. And the plan was to use them as military vehicles, in-atmosphere military vehicles. And it just wasn't quite cost-effective enough. And so they got co-opted for other uses. Because Boba Fett, the original plan for the Boba Fett character, which is why we saw the armour in white, mm-hmm. they were going to be super stormtroopers. Uh, super commandos, so yeah. So these would have yeah. been the super vehicles yeah. for yeah. That, that, that squad of, of troopers. So all these things they develop and then they go off on the tangent, do something different with it. Really crazily. But don't you think it's fascinating though that years like not that many years later really we're still in the 80s but all these concepts that were mm. left I mean yeah. West End Games with the masters are picking up stuff like that yeah. and sort of running with it and doing more with it it cost if you wanted to buy a fire spray brand new let's call it a fire spray if you want to buy a fire spray brand new it was 125,650 credits not cheap and I think that probably speaks to the fact that it was limited it was a custom job really yeah. there aren't any other sort of fire sprays modded up like Bobba and Django, obviously Bobba inherits from Django, but nobody's done what they did to a fire spray. It's a shame, really, that if they were going to adopt a different name for it, instead of calling it Boba Fett Starship, why not call it Fire Spray 1 or something like that? I think, just slightly off topic, yeah, I yeah. think it's a bit like the Razor Crest. You call it the Razor Crest. The ship model, it's a yeah, Razor Crest. Exactly, yeah. you know, and we just know it as the Razor Crest, yeah. and, and Din Jarin's obviously not that vain to come up with a cool name i don't know what the falcon was called before lando got the falcon but i can well imagine lando naming it the millennium falcon sure, yeah. you know you can probably change the you know things like that over time like we would change for personalized registrations they probably change yeah. you know the name of the ship we were saying before we started recording don't quite know the history of the name slave one whether it was a lucasfilm guy whether it yeah, was yeah whether it was marvel comics or, or yeah. how it came about but certainly it's never mentioned in the film no it's definitely not mentioned in the film in any of the films but the fire spray would make sense, it would, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would just sound a cooler name. Yeah, give it, give it a label. Give it a label, exactly. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Technical specifications. It was twenty-one and a half meters long, so it was quite a long ship. But it was twenty-one point three meters wide, so from wing to wing and tip to tail, pretty much fits in the square box. Yeah. Which is a shame because he didn't fit in the box that came from Palatal. You couldn't get it back in again, could you? No, you really couldn't. <laughs> and it's funny, I'm looking at the box now and I've just got the empty shell of a box without the cardboard inside. But I remember getting so frustrated as a kid because I tried to keep all the cardboard. Yeah. And yeah, with the cardboard and the ship and putting it back in, it was not happening. Those boxes Frustrating. are Frustrating. Those boxes. They're gorgeous, yeah. aren't they? 7.8 metres in height. So it's a bigger ship, I think, than most people realise. Yeah. You mentioned earlier the, the vehicle we had as kids was not to scale. It's not, but it felt it, but it wasn't. Uh, Hasbro did one last two or three years yeah. that was to scale. It was a bigger ship than you think, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It? It's a lot bigger than you think it is, but it's got the coolest silhouette, hasn't it? Yeah. Even when we saw it turn up in The Mandalorian, you see it coming through the clouds. Yeah, you know, when you see it from different angles, I mean, obviously the base of it just looks like, a, like a, an oval plate or a, yeah. a couple of sort of jets. It's got a very unique look, but from all angles, it's got a unique yeah. footprint. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, it's a good point, actually. Yeah, whatever, whichever angle you look at that ship, it kind of looks cool, yeah. but it, you know that it's the ship that, you yeah. know, you know it's that vehicle. And in The Mandalorian, you saw them inside the ship, the whole ship rotating around them, which I found, well, one, <laughs> was an amazing use of stagecraft. Absolutely. But yeah. two, just the concept of that was just so cool. It's like, yeah. of course it does. It's, it's kind of gyroscopic before the B-Wing was the gyroscopic yeah, ship, yeah. you know. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I forgot the B-Wing's gyroscopic. But yeah, I mean, I just love that, that idea that it doesn't matter how the ship is you're still sat in that fixed position that's just brilliant isn't it yeah so clever yeah but yeah it's just it's just a a beauty i can't stop looking at that box i know sorry i've distracted you now (laughs) maximum atmospheric speed Uh, it had a maximum atmospheric speed of a thousand kilometers an hour so what's that about 700 miles an hour it it could go as han solo would say it was a fast ship 
engine specs. Three F31 drive engines, so powerful engines. Don't you think, though, <laughs> again, streaming completely off topic, watching The Mandalorian, for example, yeah. and Din Djarin will land on a planet, and he's a savvy guy, and he's a smart fella, and he'll walk off his ship and just leave the ramp open. The Bad Batch do it all the time, and it's like a complete blind spot in Star Wars where no handrails, always leave your ship open. So what is that about? Well, I mean, I've, I've been to um, the Republic of Ireland on holiday, and, and they've got the same mentality. They really? leave all their doors unlocked. I don't know. That would make some sense. Hyperdrive rating. Class 1 hyperdrive and a Class 15 backup. So if FET, either FET, gets or got in trouble, there's that slow enough but fast enough backup that will just get, at least get you to the nearest, hopefully nearest planet that's got a Watto's Junkyard type scenario where you can get the thing fixed. It's a bit like owning a hybrid. Isn't it? <laughs> I never thought of that, but it is, isn't it? Sensor systems. Got a military-grade sensor array. I think that's pretty evident from the kind of work that Fett does as a bounty hunter, yeah. that he's going to have the sort of high-grade. The Falcon had it. You saw that in the Han Solo trilogy, the, the Ryan Daly Han Solo trilogy, when he was getting all these cool military-grade sensor suites put in. I know certainly when I did a lot of role-play back in the day, and I was building my ship, the Sunrise, you always put cool things in like that. You know, you want to know when the bad guys are coming. Yeah. Drop out the edge of a system, do a scan, ah, <laughs> They're on the third planet. Okay, we're you know we can dodge that one. So it's a useful thing for Fett to have. Countermeasures. It's got a cloaking device. Useful if you're a bounty hunter, you drop it into a system. You don't want to be picked up on Imperial sensors or or anybody's sensors. A cloaking device is a very sensible piece of kit to have, isn't it? And it now makes sense that when we see Slave One following a Millennium Falcon in the Empire Strikes Back, he was undetectable. Yeah also has a decoy system decoy system makes sense because you know if you turn up in a star system and they recognize your vehicle as slave one for example mm. or they see a fire sp- i mean really people in the know yeah. if they see that silhouette and see that ship it's not going to be anybody but bob effect because there's not that many of those fire sprays out there but yeah. nevertheless if you're at distance and you're doing a bit of a stealth job and you want them to see your transponder and and think that's somebody else I guess that's where that decoy system would come in. I mean, we've been led to believe that there's more than one YT cruiser knocking around. Yeah, totally. Don't automatically think it's a Falcon. It would be really cool, wouldn't it, to see, say, two or three of these things knocking around with different Mm. people in. Just just add a bit of extra sort of interest in, into things. I mean, there were certainly plenty of people who went around pretending to be Boba Fett, oh, yeah. like Jodo cast and, yeah. and, and fellas like that. Yeah, I, I, and that was, I believe, one of the original concepts for the Boba Fett film, which developed into the series, was that we would see somebody picking up the armour of the, the Boba Fett that we knew and taking on that personification, Yeah, which in a way would have been quite cool. Yeah, I'd heard that rumour as well, yeah. and I thought that adds some legs to it, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, but that's something, again, that they could do for a different character in the future. They've got that yeah. idea. This is why helmeted characters should yeah. keep their helmets on. Yeah. It gives you the scope, stories and the scope. Sensor systems. A sensor mask and jamming systems. So, again, a lot of vehicles have this, especially attack vehicles like a fire spray. You're on the hunt, you're on the prowl, they're trying to call for help, you jam the systems, they can't do it. So it, it traps in the prey, it keeps them in the box, essentially. Armament. This is where the vehicle has really got some heft. It's got two GN40 twin rotating blaster cannons, so that would be the guns that you see at the rear of the ship when Obi-Wan and Django had their little dance yes. in the rain yeah, on yeah. Kamino. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what Boba uses to try and take him out. Yeah, I think they're used quite heavily in the asteroid field as well, aren't they? Yes, exactly. And, and on that point, two HM8 concussion missile tube launchers, so you see some concussion missiles come yeah. out in that attack. It's got a, a CIN iron cannon, always a useful weapon to have on any vehicle. Yeah. It's got two AASL proton torpedo launchers which carries three torpedoes each 
I mean, that it's really overpowered for the size of the vehicle, isn't it? Yeah. He's heavily armoured, old fat. Not just in person, but his ship as well. What about the seismic charges? Well, it carries Void 7 seismic charges. It can carry nine of them. And probably, for me, one of the standout moments of the prequel trilogy was when that went off in the cinema. So just, cool. <laughs> it was incredible. In every, on every level, yeah. from a story point of view... From the the work that Skywalker sounded, letting you hear it initially, <laughs> you know, and just the concept of that, and it, we we saw it again in, it again. in Book of Boba Fett, we didn't did. we? Yeah, dropping that down it the, the side, didn't it? Rolled out of the ship and into the into the Sarlacc pit. Yeah. I know that that show is as a show has some detractors, and now of course Book of Boba Fett, we've got a show that features and focuses on Slave One yeah. and seeing it properly again for the first time in a long time. But that moment. As a, as a set whole, piece. Yeah, I love that whole Sarlacc dragging the slave one in. That was brilliant. I personally haven't got any issues with the book of Boba Fett. I don't think I'd got as strong an attachment to that character as some people had. Yeah. We've got friends in the know yeah. who are massive Boba Fett fans and they really struggle with that series yeah. because that's not how they saw that character. Yeah. But this is an evolution of, of Boba Fett. He went through a hell of a lot of trauma by being dragged into the Sarlacc pit. I loved that two timeline story yes. that they interchanged between him with the Tuscan Raiders tribe and then in the present. In the present, yeah. if you like. But by the end, you get to the end of that series, you could see that he was done with that sort of thing and he wanted to go back to how he was. It was watching it was him heal, wasn't it? Process. It was healing. Yeah. Yeah. The physical healing process in that back to bath, yeah. effectively, yeah. was a metaphor for his mental healing, yeah. really. That was there to show we're healing him physically, but everything that you're witnessing is him returning to the Boba Fett that you know and love. Perhaps they should have perhaps shortened that to the first two or three episodes, and then we got the Boba Fett that people want, we're crying out for. Yeah. But in a way, it's quite cool that they'd carried it all the way through. Do you think, then, that this could be one of those shows, if, when, they do a second season, yeah. you'll look back at that first season and kind of go, ah, now... Because Lucasfilm yeah. does this a lot. Lucas yeah. did it a lot. You'd need to see what came next to appreciate what came before. Absolutely. Phantom Menace is a way better film now than it was before yeah. Episode 3 came out, yeah, for example. definitely, definitely. As standalones, they don't always work. Yeah. On the greater scale of things, when you've got the fleshed-out story, then it's, uh, you know, you go, ah. For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video and social media feeds, bookmark fanthatracks.com. For Star Wars News 24-7-365. It has an F1 tractor beam projector, so for a bounty hunter, we, we were just playing around with Cap 2, yeah. which literally had a grabber on the back yes. of it, you yes. know? And and essentially, that is a very kind of primitive... I know, in the, in the, in the mini-rig world, that's just a grab hold of a character. These mini-rigs have got to turn up in some of these Star Wars shows. Wouldn't... Oh, wouldn't wow, dude, wouldn't that be amazing? Put your price of your MLC3 through the roof. Wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. But you kind of think... You look at you look at some of them... Well, we're going way off topic again. You look at some of them, and like, you know, the vehicle maintenance energizer, yes, yeah. the radar laser cannon, they make logical those sense. Are what, those are in the actual films. They're in the yeah, films. you see those. But the mini-rigs, yeah, it would. AST5 was the one I always liked. I just I love the colour yeah. scheme. It just looks so cool. Yeah. To bring some of them in. And I know a lot of them kind of got attributed certainly Cap 2 you always think of Cap 2 as Bosk's ship you do yeah. and like later it's like the Hound's Tooth becomes his ship and, and yeah. so on and so forth but nevertheless your old heads think oh but Cap that, 2 that, that, that first range the first three mini rigs you always think they're from Hoth but they're not necessarily just from Hoth no. they could be from anywhere anyway we've, we, we've digressed we digress <laughs> which we do a lot and well Escape Craft amazingly Slave One has a complement of other vehicles. It has two Viper speeder bikes uh, with a, obviously a crew 
of one, but able to carry somebody on the back. And also a, a cargo capacity of 40 metric tons and consumables for two months. So he could go out on a hunt and be self-sufficient, not have to land anywhere, not have to do much of anything. Cool. Just the, the basics, really. Yeah, yeah. We see it, again, coming back to Book of Boba Fett, you do see Fett in kind of just, ca- not casual, the armour is ready for war, but Mando lives in that armour. Fett wears his armour in almost a different way because they're not the same kind of Mandalorian. That's right. Mando, just by taking his helmet off, has been sort of outcast, whereas Boba Fett is sort of derived, obviously, from Jango Fett. And Jango was a one-man Mando. He, yeah. I don't recall him hanging around with anybody. He was just... He was his own thing. Wasn't he, you it? saw it in some of the comics, like him, you know, him and Sam Wessel working together yes, and doing yeah. stuff. You know, but that was more sort of bounty hunter sort yeah. of stuff rather than part of a clan yeah. or anything like that. It makes you wonder, though, just on that topic, that the life that Boba had on Camino as a kid and the life that Omega had as a kid on Camino very, very similar. Yeah. we don't know if they met. We probably think they didn't. But nice Alpha and Omega, it yeah. would be kind of cool. <laughs> Never thought of it like that. Yeah, no, that would be really, really, really cool. I like the fact that, that uh, Omega is a clone. You'd expect them all to be male for a start. Yeah, she's an, an interesting character, but yeah. she would be a similar age, I think, to, yeah. to young Bubba, wouldn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they need to bring that in. They do, they yeah, do. Yeah. So there's a lot of facets to, to Slave One, to the fire spray, to the whole Fett story. We talked at the top of the show about the old Palatoy ship that we had as kids yeah. that we love so much. And coming forward into more modern times, we've mentioned the Hasbro modern Slave One vehicle, Boba Fett Starship vehicle, we should say. <laughs> Looking around, I mean, there, there is other examples of, of Slave One that's that's been out there. Yeah. I, I'm thinking a lot of the uh, Fantasy Fight game stuff. They did some beautiful vehicles for their X-Wing range. I had the Transformer version of it. I think it might have been Django Fett's version of Slave One, but I had the Transformer. I could never do those as a well, even as an adult. No, that and Rubik's Cubes, forget <laughs> it, no chance. Or if I did them once, I'd never get them back. Yeah. I mean, there's a nice version of it there. Absolutely, yeah. Just Yeah, literally as we look, there's, there's a gold-plated version of the Hot Wheels uh, Starship yeah. Slave One, which was, yes, was a rather nice version of the vehicle. But just as a, as a legacy vehicle, coming in from the Empire Strikes Back, you don't see it in Jedi, but you do see it again in Mando, and it has been in other forms of media. Obviously, Marvel used it a lot. So we don't see it in Jedi, but interestingly, we know it was it was there all along, because yeah. when he comes to go and get his ship... It's sitting in the hangar. So that was... Uh, again, I love how these modern things impact on, 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 on the old stuff. Mind blown. You yeah. just said something that makes me think of their Slave One, a classic galaxy-known vehicle in certain worlds, if you like. Not to the general public, but if you're a bounty hunter or somebody in the underworld, you'd know of Slave One. And it sits parked in Jabba's Palace for, what, six, seven years. And there is the Falcon sitting on Jakku, covered with a tarpaulin. So you're, arguably, your yeah. two most famous Star Wars starships, the Falcon yeah. and Slave One, both just sat with dust covers on them. to us, but insignificant. What a ray. It was like, oh, let's take the junk. Yeah. You know, it yeah. was just nothing. Yeah. This is a Millennium Falcon. You're Han Solo. Yeah. (laughs) It's perfect. Yeah, but I I do love how that sort of twists. The next time you view Return of the Jedi, Mm. you're thinking, I know where Slave One is. (laughs) Don't you think, though, that, again, slightly off topic, but the benefit of the modern era of Star Wars storytelling, love it or or not love it or or whatever you take from it, there are definitely things in there like that where you can now watch Jedi and go, I know exactly where Slave One is now. I know it's it's right there. It does. It just fills in little strands that you didn't even know that you needed to know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm Brian Herring, BB-8 puppeteer, and you're listening to Tracks. That'll learn you. So any any final thoughts on Slave One as a vehicle, on the fire spray, on on that model of ship? I know certainly for me, 
uh, as a kid, it was one of those ships that you wanted to see more of. Yeah. I don't think you saw Slave 1 in droids. You saw Fett in droids. I don't remember seeing Slave 1 in droids. It's been a long time since I've watched that. No, I don't believe I, you saw it. I don't remember seeing it in droids. There was a lot of the stuff that we had released in that initial wave of Star Wars toys from 78 through to 85 that got very limited screen time, yeah. Slave 1 being one of them. We yeah. probably created way more interesting stories with Slave 1 than we've actually seen on TV. But don't you think that's the case with Fett as a character? Yeah, yeah. That we as a fandom built him up to a degree and I know that Dark Horse really took the ball and ran with it yeah. by making that character like the Clint Eastwood of Star Wars. Uh, there's always going to be people that are not going to be satisfied with a character's development because mm. they've already got it in their mind what that character is. Yeah. Even though it's never actually been laid out in the same sort of... In black and white. Black and white yeah, as, yeah. as Luke, Han, Chewie and yeah. everybody else has. So for me, Slave One was always that cool 12th birthday spaceship that when I sat it next to my Falcon... With the attack walker in the background, it looked cool. I'd have Boba Fett stood by it. I'd have Lando. I'd have Lobot. I'd have the two Bespin security guards holding that nice little carbon block. And it just looked like a perfect little setup. It was probably my favourite ship as a kid. Even though we didn't actually see it in action, it was implied that he was out there being a badass. And so that's what we did as kids. I never treated him as an Imperial. I think even then reading the comics especially the Williamson and Goodwin Empire adaptation, you kind of knew that they'd been called in, yeah. that the Empire couldn't seal the deal, yeah. and that they needed an in to the underworld, and that these guys were the cream of the crop. Uh, and of course, with the, uh, things like the Bounty Hunters comic, Ethan Sachs' Bounty Hunters comic, you see more of those characters now, which yeah. has been brilliant. I love that comic. But going back to that bridge scene, when you realise the infighting between those guys, yeah. if you think of it in context, like, <laughs> how much they're holding it in, yeah. Like, really, literally, like, they want to tear each they're other apart. In, they're all in competition with each other. Yeah. But I think purely because of the aesthetic of Boba Fett, because he did resemble something that could have been part of yeah. the Imp Imperial Army, and certainly the way he was initially sold, there's that very famous first introduction of him in some county parade. And people are thinking, well, he's Darth Vader's right-hand man, so he's an Imperial. Now, obviously, we know he's a, he's a bounty hunter. That so develops. Separate from yeah, that, yeah. And that develops. But had they not have had that bridge of bounty hunters, that select six, mm. if they'd have just said, we've got Boba Fett looking for people, he would have looked more like an agent yes. of Vader. And the as Emperor, opposed to a hired hand. To a hired hand. Yeah. So you needed to have that context. You needed to have Dengar, IG-88, and everybody else to give that clarity another thought that occurs is that you look at the helmet of boba fett and you go back to the prequels and you realize that there's sort of the t-shaped visor of the yeah. clone troopers in episode two is yeah. very much derived yeah. from that look and that feel and there's no love lost between the republic and the mandalorians or the empire and the mandalorians and clearly they all know each other well yeah it almost feels like they're taking the michael by designing a helmet based on that Mandalorian look. I've never really thought about that. It's a family at war because they're all derived from the same gene pool. <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. But I just think, you know, you look at the helmet of Bob Boba Fett and Jango Fett, of course, and Mandalorians in general, and we see in the trailer for Mando Season 3 lots of different looking, like, like yeah. Sabine's helmet is significantly different to Boba Fett's Absolutely. helmet and Mando's helmet. Yeah. But nevertheless, there's, there's that look and feel and style of it. We've never seen any other vehicle look anything like Slave 1. No, and... Wouldn't it be nice if in this third season of Mando, what if it turns out that that is the ship of choice of the Mandalorians? Wouldn't that be cool? And we actually see a fleet of uh, yeah. fire sprays. Possible. More than possible. Yeah. It's. I mean, anybody can, you know, especially in the Star Wars galaxy where, you know, licensing and life and rules are, and yeah. are different. Why not take that design and build 
you know, well, 100 of them or whatever. If you've got sort of 15 different styles of the same mould, you're onto a winner, guys. Well, it works <laughs> with the helmet, so why don't we work with the ships? <laughs> so, thanks for listening to Start Your Engines. If you want to be a part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, visit Fanthatracks.com or check out the free Fanthatracks app through the App Store to follow us on your mobile device. You can reach out to us and send in your listeners' questions by emailing radio at Fanthatracks.com. So send us any questions, any corrections, if we've missed something, if we've said something wrong, which is quite possible. If there's anything you want us to talk about, especially especially if there's a vehicle you want us to cover or maybe even go back like we will in time and go back to Slave 1 and talk about Django Slave 1 or anything else just let us know and we will do it and if you can't find fault with anything that I say then you're not listening properly because <laughs> I'm bound to have got something wrong no comment <laughs> comment like and share on any of our social media feeds at Panthertrax and be sure to subscribe leave a review preferably a 5 star one on Amazon Music Audible Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice and as always thanks to James Semper for composing the Panthertrax intro and our Start Your Engines opening music Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers and of course the data miners at Wikipedia remember tune in to Good Morning Tattooing it's live Sunday at 9 o'clock UK 4pm Eastern and 1pm Pacific on Facebook and YouTube and check out our Panthertrax radio Friday night rotation it's every Friday night 7 o'clock UK time for new episodes of The Phantom From Down Under Planet Layer Desert Planet Discs Start Your Engines Collecting Tracks Cannon Fodder and special episodes of Making Tracks and every Tuesday at 7 o'clock UK time for your weekly episode of Making Tracks and that's me done for this episode Paul Excellent well I think you know if you've enjoyed that folks I'm Paul Nader and that's Mark Newbold if you haven't uh, you've been listening to Matt Booker and Brian Cameron thank you very much I love you for that man Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio it's Making Tracks I have no f- idea what that is. <laughs> Edit. <laughs> <laughs>